Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Joining us on the show is Dr. Sten Vermund. He is the Dean of the Yale School of Public Health. He is a pediatrician and infectious disease epidemiologist. He's also on the Governor's Joint Task Force for School Reopening uh, in conjunction with the Department of Education and the Department of Public Health. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you for giving us a little time on this Friday afternoon. My pleasure. Well, um, you know, uh, we, before we get jumped on, you explained to us that you have been involved as a member of this task force uh, in uh, trying to figure out what's the best way for schools reopening and for some of these uh, students' activities uh, to resume. Uh, and then now you see this fervor which, with the uh, ongoing football issue. Uh, just, you know, based on your, you know, your personal opinions, you know, do you think it's, it's safe to play uh, a, a sport like football at this time, which has been classified as high risk by uh, the NFHS and a variety of other uh, organizations. You know, I've talked to a number of uh, coaches and uh, uh, physical education teachers uh, in a variety of schools around the state, public schools, private schools, and I've been pretty consistent in my messaging. Um, I think that contact sports when we've just emerged from this massive pandemic surge that we had in April, which extended into May as well, um, and is still brewing at a low level, it doesn't make sense for people to have birthday parties without being masked and physical distance. It doesn't make sense to treat college dorms exactly as we used to. It doesn't make sense to have army barracks exactly as they used to be. It makes more sense to um, have physical distancing and masking. And contact sports are inherently in your face. You're spitting on each other. You're grunting at each other. You're shouting at each other. It's a perfect uh, venue to transmit virus from an asymptomatic player to uh, a, a susceptible individual. And you could, you could transmit it to multiple people. So my thinking, and I'm just an individual uh, with a public health background, uh, but my thinking is that we can pivot contact sports for a month or two towards skill building and, um, and uh, uh, training. And we can do a lot to build the skills of our hockey players, our football players, our lacrosse players, our girls who play field hockey, uh, name, you know, basketball players, name a contact sport. We can do a lot in the way of skill building and keep our children as safe. Keep in mind too that we're worried as much uh, uh, about the grandmothers and grandfathers in the crowd and the teachers who are my age uh, because the children are not likely to get seriously ill. That's the one good thing about the novel coronavirus is it doesn't assault the young 
as uh, substantially as it assaults the old. But these kids are in touch with their loved ones, their, their, their grandparents, uh, their teachers, staff members, sometimes even parents who are over the age of 60, who have an underlying medical condition. And to start this wildfire, to use a California, a California analogy, to start this wildfire all over again, just doesn't make sense to me. We are now one of the most disciplined states in the country, having been the third worst rate of COVID in the country in April, third worst after New York and New Jersey. Now we're about, uh, you know, one of the five to 10 best. And we have one of the lowest rates. And we even fall below a CDC guideline where you want to reopen your, your, your society when you're below three cases per 100,000 persons per day. And state of Connecticut is under two. So we have this wonderful opportunity to reopen our state, to reopen our office buildings, our industries, to reopen our schools, to reopen um, uh, our um, uh, arts organizations, you know, our museums. But we're going to reopen it to avoid the kind of surge that we've seen in Texas and Arizona and Georgia and Louisiana, uh, North Dakota. We don't need that. We've been through that. We've been through the horror story of April. And I think if we just bide our time for a month or two and we, we marshal our sports with skill building and with training, we can, we can build the skills of our hockey players, of our uh, volleyball players, of our uh, football players, of, of, of all the basketball players, all of our contact sports. We can build skills. We're not wasting time, but we're deferring our contact sports for another let's say six to eight weeks, see where we are in early November. We may be even lower and we say, look, we're gonna have a truncated season of sports or we're gonna extend the sports into December and, uh, and get back to normal. But until we have a better handle on this pandemic, unless we see some of these other 31 states that were on the governor's quarantine list uh, recently, until we see progress elsewhere, we just know that we're going to have uh, uh, the chance of resurging epidemic in our in our state. Yeah, I mean, what? I, yeah, just you know, looking around the country, you mentioned all these different states, and there are some states with a lot worse numbers than we have. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I agree with you 100. percent But they are playing, right? They're playing down in Alabama. They're playing down in Florida. They're playing down in they're down. They're playing in Utah. They're playing in all these other states, and a lot of parents, coaches, and players are pointing to the other states and saying they're worse than us, and they're playing. I don't think it's the best idea, but you know, I just kind of want to know what your thoughts are when you look around and you see all these states with you know, worse yeah. numbers than we have, and they're still playing. The, the key thing there is a big – a lot of these – I don't know you can speak to it, doctor, a little bit better than I am. A lot of them are pointing to the fact that the metrics – they've been playing for a month, for example, Utah. And I spoke to their director, and he said that they are, have been trying to do it. You look at that, you see that the, the sp- there hasn't been that spike or anything uh, to, to indicate that perhaps it's, it's, by saying it, it's causing a massive outbreak. And then there's also the, uh, the argument that the DPH at Connecticut has also allowed youth sports, especially some contact sports. You saw some hockey 
being played. Uh, that is also being allowed, and we haven't seen that type of spike. Why is perhaps that not a great idea, or why is it? Why I mean, is that some sort of evidence we can look at, or not? It is true that rates in Utah are are declining, and it is true that they're playing. Uh, it's also true that they're playing in North Dakota, and rates are skyrocketing. So it's hard to determine whether. Um, continuing to play contact sports is actually helping fuel ongoing transmission. Maybe the rates in Utah would be declining even faster if they weren't um, uh, having contact, trans, uh, contact yeah. sports. So it's hard for us to determine this. What we do know is that contact sports are a great opportunity to transmit virus. Um, it's almost like being in a choir and singing on top of each other. Um, and uh, we uh, have had several choir outbreaks. We've had several sports team outbreaks. We've had sports team outbreaks in baseball, which we don't really think of as a contact sport, but we know that people are in the locker room and people are socializing. And um, why have we gotten away with it with the NBA? Daily testing, and they're all in a bubble in Disney World. Why have we gotten away with it with the NHL? daily testing or every other day testing, and they're in two bubbles in Canada. And um, we haven't gotten away with it in Major League Baseball because we're not in any bubbles and they're going from city to city and playing games in all sorts of places. So it seems to me that the evidence suggests that unless you have the hundreds of millions of dollars of the NBA and the NHL, and you can do something very abnormal, which is segregate all your players and test them practically every day, then we're, we're inviting trouble when we have contact sports and our kids are transmitting to each other and then going home and transmitting grandma. So it seems to me that, that the skill building strategy keeps us in sports. Don't get me wrong. I was a sports, sportsman in uh, high school I had immense uh, value for um, the, the after-school uh, sports, and I played competitive sports and uh, have, have incredibly fond memories of it. But if you had taken um, um, me in the middle of a pandemic and said, we're gonna work on your technique for a month, we're gonna work on your skills for a month, I wouldn't have gone hysterical. I would have thought that would be reasonable. And, I think that um, some parents are assuming too much that they're going to compromise their kids' chance of a scholarship. Um, um, you know, I have an elite athlete in my home. How dare you inhibit their progress? Um, and I think that honestly, a lot can be done in the skill building realm without being in full contact mode. Is this, uh, what, what is, the, in your opinion, doctor, what is your uh, thoughts on the different types of sports? I mean, a lot of the argument goes, well, why is soccer playing? They have is just as much contact, maybe not as sustained. Uh, they have is just as much contact. Maybe even the hockey types have had just as much contact. I mean, again, the, the state has allowed hockey to be played. We have had some um, cases here. Um, so what, I mean, is it the sustained or, or I don't know what the, I guess a lot of parents would say, what's the difference between some of those sports and, and football? So the extremes are easy to identify. Golf, tennis, 
not much contact. Right. Cross country running, eh, you bump somebody when you're passing them or you're, you know, running together, but you're outdoors, not much contact. Um, those are extremes on the favorable direction. Swimming can be very favorable. You have, you have excellent air exchange in your natatorium uh, or you do it outdoors. And uh, you can even do things in swimming that are a little out of the box. For example, you could start the people in the pool rather than diving in the pool. And you can start them at opposite ends so that all they do is cross each other and you rely on the timer. So even, even, even small modifications can make swimming uh, safer. Then you've got the other extreme. I always like to think of basketball because now you got 10 people on the court coughing, breathing, spitting, yelling all over each other, in each other's faces, literally. You're indoors. You're indoors, indoors. Now it, you're, you're advantaged by having the big arena, but still how much air exchange do you have right there? You know, could you, could you have um, uh, an audience that can only sit in the bleachers and you blow big fans onto the court. You know, there you can do things to try to modify the risk. But I can tell you what the NBA did. They said, we can't do this. So we're putting everybody in a bubble and we're testing everybody every day. And so they went, they, they, they preserved their season, but doing something professionals can do that high school folks can't and college folks can't. They cannot afford so that. They can't afford that. It's not even conceivable. Yeah. Now, now we get into, um, the middle ground and i mentioned some of the sports that in the middle ground girls playing field hockey lacrosse soccer football these are all in the middle ground football a little closer to to basketball uh field hockey uh and lacrosse kind of clustered uh soccer a little bit closer to swimming and uh and and tennis and golf so you know it's a spectrum and volleyball is in there probably, um, you know, there with lacrosse, somewhere in that range. So we've got this, this judgment. So in my thinking, when you're at the, at the tail, at the end of that curve, where you've got um, basketball, football, maybe hockey, you know, those are the ones that I would wonder if we shouldn't buy ourselves another six weeks of confidence things are going well in connecticut if they continue to go well in connecticut we can liberalize uh how we emerge in our contact sports but what if we have a surge you know right now uh the colleges have just reconvened right. a lot of businesses have just started up again yeah a lot of uh, restaurants have just started offering in you know indoor service I mean, right. a lot of stores have opened up and they're letting a few people in and physically distancing, masking, but we're in an experiment that we've not experienced in our lifetimes. And if the experiment goes well, then we can take the next steps. So that's my way of thinking. Now, you know, my kids are 40 years old and 33. So I, I fully admit that I'm not the passionate parent of a 15 year old who has great potential as an elite hockey player or an elite football player. I get it. I get it that this is painful for those parents. Uh, but I also think the parents have got to think about the greater good. 
there's sometimes a time in society where you say, look, I have my liberties, I have my freedom, I'm an American, but I get it that in a pandemic, I've got to bend towards social responsibility to benefit the, the overall population. So I'm going, to, I'm going to limit my freedoms a bit, my individual freedoms to the benefit of society. And I think pandemic control is one of those times. Yeah, I mean, it's, we've seen, we've seen, I was at the, the, the rally on Wednesday, I want to say it was, at uh, the state capitol for high school football. And there were a lot of signs. And, and one of them that really stood out, it was my kid, my choice. And I just kind of thought, and I was like, well, it's not really your choice because it's the kid who's sitting next to your football playing son in math class. You're making the decision for him as well. And then that kid's parents, because that's how it spreads. Like it's not just an individual case. And I, I think that a lot of people kind of lost focus on that where they're like, well, if I want my kid to play, I could sign a waiver when it's like, is the kid in math class sitting next to him going to sign a waiver too? Because he has to sit next to him for an hour during class. Like, I feel like that's kind of gotten lost. My kid, Joey, um, Kevin's grandmother. I mean, that's the better analogy. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, um, the whole point is if your kid gets infected, your kid is a nidus of transmission to others. And if you don't happen to have a vulnerable person in your household, yeah, the fact that Joey gets infected may not be a big deal. But if Joey infects anybody else, like another football player, then that person is infected and that person has grandmother Sadie at home or granddad, or that person has um, somebody in their sphere of influence, a teacher who is vulnerable. And, uh, you know, God forbid that that kid goes visits the, the grandmother in the nursing home. So I do think that there's, I don't know, there's a limited vision that some folks have about what it means to be in, a, in an infectious pandemic. Yeah. The whole point of coronavirus is that it's more infectious than influenza. And influenza is very infectious. And every year we have between 20 and 60,000 people in America die of influenza because we don't want to get a vaccine. 100% of Americans got a vaccine, almost nobody would die of influenza. So there's an example of where people say, well, it's my body, my choice, I don't want a flu vaccine. They don't get it, that it's not just for you, it's for everybody else. Because if you get the flu, now you're a nidus of infection to others. So infection control has to do with what the veterinarians call the herd, the herd of cattle, you know, and we need enough of us protected either through classic public health risk reduction method, methods like, like masking and distancing and, and hand hygiene and outdoor and, you know, small groups. Um, that, that's one way to protect us. The other way is widespread vaccination. And guess what? We don't have a vaccine. <laughs> now keep right. in mind, keep in mind that, that 2020, 2021 is a unique year. Our drugs aren't that good and we don't have a vaccine. Give the scientists a break. They're working in an unprecedented pace to try to identify um, 
new drugs and vaccines. And I think that we're going to succeed because my buddies over uh, in, in my school of public health and, and over the medical school are making amazing pro progress here at Yale. The same is true at Brown and BU and Harvard and Columbia and you know UCLA all over the country. A lot of scientists have pivoted to this national emergency, this global emergency, and they're putting their expertise towards drug development, vaccine development. We we had a breakthrough in the Yale School of Public Health in the saliva direct to make it more easy to uh, to test people just using saliva. So. There's good progress being made, and I feel like um, I feel optimistic. Um, in four months, five months, six months—I don't know when exactly—there's going to be a manuscript submitted to a journal and and a proposal to the FDA to approve a new antiviral drug. And that antiviral drug you can take by mouth. You know, the only antiviral drug that's been shown effective against coronavirus is remdesivir. You got to you got to give it intravenously, for goodness sake, <laughs> and it's not all that potent. So let's imagine if we have a potent antiviral, you can take a pill. Well, now I got coronavirus. I'm at home on my isolation, and I'm taking pills. I'm not going to go to the hospital. Now, new drugs and vaccines are a game changer, and when I say game, I mean sports game, <laughs> because it goes. Now we're back to business. Now it's just like now it's just like influenza, and uh, and uh, we can manage it. If people cooperate, a lot of people get vaccinated. People get sick. Take the medicines. You know we have Tamiflu, which you've probably heard of. It's a good outpatient drug for for influenza. You can be pretty sick. Take Tamiflu and avoid going to the hospital. Right. That's what we need for coronavirus. And when we get it, which I think will be there in 2021 then I think it's a game changer. And we're gonna be much more copacetic about uh, contact sports, team sports, choir, band practice, drama. You know, I mean, it's not just the sports people who are pivoting their worlds. You, you know how hard it is to make a uh, living as an actor right now? You know right. how difficult it is if you happen to be a professional musician? Jazz, rock, pop, classical, Absolutely. country. These people are out of work. So I mean, we see we sit here feeling sorry for ourselves that our kids can't play football. There are people who are losing their livelihoods because they cannot mount uh, their 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 professions. And I think we need to help those people get back to business. And if we can keep our rates low, we can all get back to business. Um. Is it? I mean, a, a big thing being pushed around. I know you're you're optimistic about a uh, a vaccine, perhaps. We don't know for sure, but we'll you know you're optimistic. Is this something that they should say? Let's go in the spring for something like football, or is it all contingent yeah. on where we are? I mean, we got we're also as you mentioned, we're also coming up on traditional flu season. There's a lot of you know everyone's going to be going back indoors because yeah. it's cold out. You know, how, how do you see that, uh, it, how that possibly is? CIAC has said, well, we really don't yeah. like that idea. So that's why we're trying to go right now because they're right. not as good now. So where do you see the that? The number one thing that we can all do 
for the United States of America and for each and every one of us is get a flu vaccine, everybody. Because it's a horror story if we've got coronavirus surging in flu season. Because every kid or adult with a cold, with cold symptoms or flu symptoms, now we've got to work them up for coronavirus and you're in quarantine until we prove that you don't have it. It's a horror story. So the fewer of us that present to our doctors with flu symptoms, and guess what? Flu symptoms are very similar to coronavirus symptoms. So the fewer people that present with flu symptoms, the simpler we make it for our healthcare providers. Because I don't wanna see a lot of hearts on people's lawns if they don't wanna get a flu vaccine, because that is hypocrisy beyond all belief. Don't thank me as a healthcare provider and not get a flu vaccine, because the main thing you can do to help me as a flu, as a healthcare provider is make sure I'm not evaluating for you for the, for coronavirus when you had the flu. So don't have the flu, protect yourself from flu and, uh, and, and get a flu vaccine. So that I've made my little point there. Now, I am not an expert at the school year the structure of the school year, and I'm not an expert at the finances of high school and college sports. So I cannot comment on whether it's even in the cards to pivot the football season into the spring. But if I were a betting man, I would say that there's a better chance of playing football safely in the spring than there is now, because maybe we'll have drugs by the spring, maybe we'll have vaccines by the spring, and, and certainly, you know, using the fall to, um, to skill build and, to, uh, and for training is not wasting your time. You're developing the skills of your athletes. So it's just no question about it. Now, maybe we could have a truncated season in the month of November because by the end of October, things are looking good. We haven't had a major resurgence. Some of these rogue states that don't want to cooperate start getting their act together and having people wear masks and physically distant doing what Connecticut has been doing for, for six months. And maybe they'll start with dropping their rates and then maybe we can get back to business as usual. So imagine if we had a truncated season in, in November and then we had another month in, in the spring. That might be something one could consider. But these are all uh, issues that are um, best handled by the experts who run schools and uh, who coach teams. Uh, I'm not particularly qualified to comment on uh, how easy it would be to modify a schedule like that. Um, do you uh, just what's your general sense, you know, when you talk to superintendents and people on the committees and when you travel around some of the schools here, what's your general sense that the uh, you know, the school districts want to do. I mean, I'm sure this is obviously this is a hot button debate, the football thing. I mean, uh, it, it, but, but just what's your general sense of where, where do the administrators really feel like they, you know, do they just want this to kind of, they just want to follow the DPH's uh, recommendations and go and, 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 and be safe as they want. They want to, they want to have no risk at all DPH. That's been their state position. Um, you know, do you feel like that that's where schools have been or do you see some schools who are like, I don't know, we should, we, maybe we should go. My role in visiting schools has to, has been advisory. Mm. And most people tell me what they have in mind 
and then I give them feedback on what they have in mind. And in several school districts, they've just decided not to do contact sports end of subject. So it never came up because it was never an issue. They'd already made the decision. Other school di districts and private schools were, were genuinely with a giant question mark. They really wanted my opinion. And I gave them the opinion I've just given you, which is why not start the school year cautiously and focus on skill building and uh, training um, and uh, try to maintain physical distancing and defer the contact sports until we have a better handle on, on what's going on in the state of Connecticut and the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I'll be honest, I haven't actually been to a school district that wants to open up and do business as usual. That hasn't come up yet. Uh, I have talked to at least one coach who was reasonably passionate about wanting to start up business as usual. And in, in talking to the coach, it was interesting it was a woman coach and she said that um, she really thought we could do it safely. And I, I made my pitch about skill building and, uh, and uh, training for at least the first month, six weeks of, of school to see what's happening. She liked that idea. She thought it was a, a thoughtful idea and, and that she could see how she could keep her athletes making progress and some of her elite, elite athletes who probably have college scholarships in the making, um, uh, active and, and developing their skill set. And, um, and the last I heard, that's exactly what she intended to do. To do. She had more control over her destiny because she was in private school. But, um, you know, I would say that uh, I'm sure there are coaches out there who think I'm brain dead for everything that I'm saying. And they're saying, what's the big deal? We should just start, start playing and, and, and devil be damned. And I, I get that, I understand that point of view. Rates right now are low, but keep in mind that I'm here at Yale University. My office is about a three minute walk from Yale New Haven Hospital. And Yale New Haven Hospital had 450 patients in the hospital in the month of April. Over 120 of them were in ICU beds and over 100 of them were on ventilators. These are historic numbers. We've never in our lifetimes seen uh, that number of people on a, on, in, a uh, in a hospital on a ventilator at a given time. We had to, our, our colleagues in Yale New Haven Health uh, System and Yale New Haven Hospital, they had to create two entire floors of ICU space out of, out of nowhere with negative pressure ventilation. This is expensive, negative pressure ventilation so that we could keep the, the, the hospital itself safe. And, um, We've never been through this before. We do not want to go through it again. I had, I had medical colleagues, men and women, that I talked to who started to sob as they, as they, as they described to me what they were up against. Oh. And, and we, yeah. we, we, we've had members of our Yale School of Public Health community who have died of coronavirus. I have one of my well, close professional colleague and collaborator with whom I've worked for 20 years uh, die of coronavirus, 63 year old healthy woman. So, you know, I, I, I know the stakes are very, very high here. And I think some people don't get that. Yeah, no, they definitely, I don't think they do get it. And it, it's, 
I mean, they had the same, there was the same, you know, outbursts in March when the CIAC decided to cancel the end of the winter season. Um, then it seemed like the CIAC, you know, I think people kind of came around and was like, yeah, I guess CIAC did the right thing. Um, which That's you know, for sure. Yeah, we thought <laughs> they did sure. right at the beginning. Oh, my God. Look what, look what was on our horizon. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think people understood it then, and I think – I think people just look at the numbers and say, look how great our metrics are. Look how terrible theirs are. And they're playing and we're not. But our numbers are that good because of what we've done. And if we continue to do, like you said, if we continue to do the right thing, we can keep those numbers low. I, I don't think the numbers are something to play with where it's like, well, if it only raises a little bit, well, a little bit is still people's lives. It's not like a card game or it's not. Every, like, oh, every, it's every, life. yeah. Every undergraduate at Yale University is getting tested twice a week. Why? Because they're in class and they live in dorms. Yep. Now, Yale yep. has more, more resources than, than many schools, and we're deploying some of those resources to keep our community safe. Um, we're encouraging our graduate students, even the ones living off campus, and our staff and faculty to get weekly testing. And um, and we have very, very rigorous uh, restrictions on the size of groups and on the number of people we can have in classrooms. I'm teaching this term, and uh, I have about 26 students sitting in a classroom that usually sits 180, and they're all physically distanced. So we're trying to keep Yale safe. And uh, as you know, the Ivy League uh, decided not to do contact sports. Right. Now, you might say the Ivy League is not very good at contact sports. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, still, I love going to Yale games. So there you go. A lot of – we have our occasional professional athlete coming yeah, out of the Ivy yeah, League. There are a lot of high school football players That's from right. Connecticut who go to Yale, and I love going to watch them yep. play. And um, UConn, UConn hasn't been a powerhouse in football either, but – and we would love for those those kids to be able to play. But why can't they play – intramurally why can't they do skill building uh, 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 play non-contact play and and even if they have a little contact locally they have a little outbreak at least they're not transmitting it to their sister schools that they're nope. playing against and now we're we've morphed to colleges i know that yeah no it's the same, same thing in high school you go to the neighboring county in neighboring uh, town or county yeah and you infect all of them i mean this is not going to be helpful nope yeah, uh, I guess, uh, were you surprised, Doctor, that, uh, I mean, CIC, which was very progressive on this front and, and pr uh, prescient on this front uh, by canceling the fall, uh, excuse me, the winter season, they've seemed to be very, they got a lot of pushback on that, but they were proven correct. The NBA did it the next day. Um, they seem to think that they can go. I mean, were you surprised by that, given all the uh, things that you've been, you're advocating? You know, I haven't had conversations with them, and I don't know what constraints they're putting around their sports. Um, there well, they're, they're, well, they're, uh, they're, they were advocating today. They were pushing the last dish case to the DPH, arguing for face guards for football. You know, football is obviously the only one they're canceling. So uh, face guards, you know, a lot of mitigating things like, I don't know, stuff like that. Um, so that that's basically where they are right now. That they really would like the footballs. They think they, they can do it. They look at the other states as we, as I mentioned before, and uh, they feel like they're they're good. But you've been pretty adamant that if we really want to tamp this thing down, it should be no way. 
You know, I just hate to think that a scientifically unproven measure, which is uh, masks and face guards playing uh, uh, a sport that is extremely exertional and the entire, you know, you're grunting, you're spitting, you're coughing, you're blowing, you're shouting, you're, I mean, it's just, it's just the perfect storm. It's like, it's like, I used the analogy earlier of a choir. You know, right. there, were, there have been substantial outbreaks in choirs. Why? Because they're singing on top of each right, other. Right, right. And, and you think football is less than singing? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. So I think you've got the, you've got the circumstances for uh, a super spreader event. So okay. a single high school game, and the next thing you know, 20% of this team is infected, 30% of this team is infected, they, they transmit to grandma and grandpa or, or teacher, and, and, and now it's all over. Now it's in, it's in two different towns, and it's, it's come into the adult, and now we've, we've, we've started the New York City surge all over again. And there's no surprise why, why we uh, got, a lot, got hit hard in Connecticut, yeah. because Fairfield County commutes to New York City. Right. And New York City got hit extremely hard and our commuters got infected and brought it home. No. They didn't do anything on purpose, but that's what happened. So the first hospital fill up in the state were, were Greenwich Hospital, Stanford. Um, then, it, then, it, then it marched up I-95 and then it marched up I-91, up the Amtrak line, you know, up the interstates. And, and at the end of the day, the whole state was afflicted. So. Right. I just would hate to see that wildfire start burning again. I'd like us to keep it low for months at a time and get it lower and lower and lower. And there will be a point at which we think that we can play contact sports safely. And if we never get to that point, there'll be a point at which we have better drugs. Yeah, and, right. and then we can get back to normal. Doctor, I appreciate you coming on. We got a little bit over time, but we really appreciate your time here on Thank this Friday you so afternoon. Much. This is yeah, really enlightening. Insightful. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I my heart, I my heart goes out to every sports person and every youth and every parent and every coach in the state. I actually love high school sports. Was an avid avid player myself, and I don't like where we are, but the reality is we would like to keep us keep us all, all the citizens of Connecticut safe. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you very much, doctor. You so much, uh, doc. You've been extremely helpful and uh, good luck in all the work that you do. And thank you for all the work that you guys do at the Yale School of Public Health. Yeah, so nice, to, uh, nice of you to say so. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thanks, sir. All right.